The Focus podcast showcases people from the data analytics company's circle of friends. Is a forum to have a chat to people who listeners mightn't have had the chance to meet, but we think most likely are interested in what they have to say. International Women's Day is important because it's a time to reflect and celebrate growing diversity across business, science and leadership. The theme for 2021 is Choose to Challenge. So we're very excited to be joined by Dr. Michelle Deeker, who has spent a lifetime challenging the status quo as a PhD, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, focus board member, mother of two, and Frisbee champion. Welcome, Michelle. You wear many hats. How would you explain what you do to a 14-year-old? Thanks, Katrina, for having me on the Focus podcast. You know, I think uh, science and technology impact our everyday life, whether that's just using our phone, creating a vaccine, watching our favourite Netflix, streaming to us from the cloud, or finding a cure for cancer. But these innovations cost money. And uh, for the 14-year-old, a venture capitalist raises money from often wealthy people or big pension funds around the world, and we invest that money in these exciting new innovations to support the businesses and help them develop and grow. Um, And hopefully, we hope that one day those businesses will grow up to become great companies, uh, really transforming their global markets. Now, tell me, um, one of the hats you wear is also is a Frisbee champion. Can you tell us a little bit about? Yeah, I was pretty lucky at university. I had a group of friends that, you know, were keen on playing sport and keeping active, and I got invited along to play this game called Ultimate Frisbee, and I didn't know anything much about it. But basically we had seven people on a team and you had to have two women at any point in time. Um, very topical for International Women's Day. And it's a bit like netball on a hockey field um, where to score you have to do a touchdown in the end zone, a bit like gridiron. So um, that's that's the nature of the game. It involves a lot of running around. It's very exciting. And uh, I think Australians, you know, we all love the beach. We all throw frisbee at the beach. We like team sports and we have a fairly strong sport culture. So I think that's probably why, you know, frisbee, Um, is something that, you know, we take to. And I noticed that um, the IOC has actually decided that 2024 it will be showcased as an Olympic sport. So uh, it's great to see the the sport developing. Oh, yeah, that's very exciting. um, And and is that the first time ever in Olympic Games? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, because sometimes the host country gets to pick a a sport. But um, I believe you were the only woman ever to represent Australia on a, on a men's ultimate Frisbee team, <laughs> keeping with the spirit of the International Women's Day. Is that a metaphor for your business career, the only uh, woman on a men's team? Look, I think so. You know, I was always challenging the status quo. And in, in Frisbee, as an example, I went along to the Australian Championships and I was one of the top scorers. And they decided that they were only sending a men's team that year and they decided to pick me for the men's team. And quite a number of the men were a bit taken aback by that, but my own teammates were very excited. And it's actually to this day because I represented Australia and played in the men's team that the ultimate Frisbee World Championships are now always hosted mixed. 
Um, so they include women in their teams. So sometimes I think this breaking down of the status quo is very applicable to me. And at university, I did a double major in physics and chemistry. And I think I was one of just a handful of women in my distinction physics class. Um, then I went on as an entrepreneur and I remember going out capital raising for my company and I also had my brother with us and our advisors and often I would go into a room full of men and they would assume that I was just there to take the notes. So it was often off-putting for them when I was the person who was answering all the questions. Um, and then I think I went on and decided that, you know, there was an opportunity to launch a venture capital firm. And someone later told me that I was the first woman in the Southern Hemisphere to launch a VC firm. So I definitely think representing, you know, Australia on a men's team was just, you know, my next steps towards, you know, breaking down barriers and showing that women can achieve um, if they just set their minds to it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, very good training from the early days onwards. And so what has been your sort of general approach to business as a woman? Like, have you always had a purpose-driven approach or ensured that you always were armed with the facts or being incredibly polite? I mean, there's always a, a lot of women who've sort of taken on male characteristics to get by in business and sometimes politics. What has been your approach to business? What's your philosophy? How do you like to be treated and how do you treat others? Look, I think um, I'm probably more a relationship-driven business person. I'm quite a good networker. I'm not afraid to ask if I want something. Um, and I've never been, you know, willing to believe that there are glass ceilings. So I tend to just push straight through that and ignore the fact that they do exist. Um, I'd like to think that I represent women in business, uh, that I'm not a woman that tries to be a man in business. Um, I like to have my own identity. And, you know, I um, when you look at what businesses actually do, there's no reason why women can't do roles within those businesses as well as men. And that comes down to what you say about data. You know, um, great businesses have characteristics around, you know, successful management teams um, who are all aligned. There's strong alignment amongst those management teams. They know the company's goals, objectives and vision. They're prepared to hire A-grade people, not just people who look like themselves, but people who diversify their organisation, make sure that they've got a very complete management team and where everyone plays on their strengths um, in that team. So, you know, I, I think for me as a businesswoman, understanding those sorts of things and believing that there's no barrier for women. Definitely. And, and what are some of the characteristics of the, the best run businesses you've encountered? You talked a little bit about, you know, diversity in the management team, but are there some other sort of specific characteristics, especially also when you're looking to invest in these companies? What do you deem as being something that helps run or keeps a business ticking over well? Yeah, well, I think, as I said, you know, a great management team uh, where everyone sort of understands the goals and objectives and, you know, really strong talent. But additionally to that, it's things like, you know, having a great culture. I think, um, you know, strength of culture in an organisation keeps everyone very aligned. Um, retaining innovation, 
um, so that your business keeps growing forward and doesn't stagnate, I think is really important. And we always look for those businesses that are very driven around their innovation programs. Um, and certainly as a Focus board member, I'm really excited to see all the innovation that's coming out of Focus with new products, um, you know, artificial intelligence coming into the fore, um, all those things, you know, make me really excited about Focus. And I think also for a good business, you will have um, good business processes and practices. And often that comes through being able to access, you know, quality data for good decision making and that you really understand your target market, like who is your customer, what do they want, and knowing what to give them at the right time. Um, and, again, that's, that often comes through really knowing your business and the data underneath your business. Yeah, that is one of Focus's strengths, just that razor-sharp focus on the customer in their specific niches to really continue to develop products and put in predictive analytics that are really addressing the issues now, in the spirit of International Women's Day and the theme Choose to Challenge, do you have any hot-button issues that you like to challenge as a woman in business? And if so, do you have an example? And what change or awareness have you achieved around this issue? might be educational or just encouraging others to see points of view from other people's perspective. No, definitely. Look, I think my one of my hot buttons, obviously I'm in the finance industry, so it tends to be quite male-dominated, is just generally getting diversity. And it's not just female, you know, bringing females into the industry, but it's also bringing in diversity of, from different cultural backgrounds I think is really important because otherwise we all end up investing in like things that look the same instead of, you know, really creative and new ideas that are coming through. So, I often challenge my peers in the industry, many of whom are all male, um, in managing partner roles, um, what they're doing to increase diversity in their own firms and why they shouldn't have managing partners in their senior levels that are women. Um, what is stopping them from getting there? And I think um, only by challenging people will they stop and start to think about the fact that maybe, you know, they've been overlooking this as something that's important. And just to give another just like highlighted little example, um, we were hiring an analyst role in the firm and um, we had a recruiter and every single, and I think we had like 100 applications come in, every single one of them was a male applicant. And I went back to the recruiter and I said, I'm not moving forward until you find me a group of female candidates for this role and I don't care what you need to do, go out and be much more creative, broaden the net um, and show me some women candidates. And we ended up hiring a fantastic girl into our team um, who'd come from a slightly different background, not specifically finance. She'd come from PwC's restructuring group and she's been a terrific asset for our team. Um, so you really do need to keep on top of these issues as a woman and make sure that you're always promoting, whether it's externally outside your business or internally within your own company, to keep that diversity and give opportunities to other women. Yes, keep that sisterhood alive because there are examples where sometimes women don't always look after their own. So it's fabulous that you're, you're doing that for other women. 
Now you are a, a doctor, you have a PhD in science. What field is this in and, and why did you do a, do a PhD and what has the benefit been to your business career? Yes, so I have a PhD in applied science and um, I also have a background, as I mentioned, in physics and chemistry. So I, I did a lot of work. I did some work in solar physics. I also did some work in analytical chemistry. And um, after I finished my PhD, a mentor of mine said that no one would actually remember what I did my PhD in, but that it would gain me respect um, when I was trying to deal in business. And I've definitely found this to be the case. Um, and obviously, I've, I've sort of developed as a person from there and leveraged, you know, my ability to, you know, think critically, analyze data, um, you know, problem solve and have informed decision making um, through having actually done that study and, and done that piece of work. Absolutely. And um, and you mentioned you know, informing your decision-making. And so can you tell us a little bit more about how you went from a science to a, a tech entrepreneur? And maybe the listeners don't know that prior to being a, you know, setting up your own venture capital firm, you actually set up a couple of other businesses. Would, would you be able to sort of explain sort of the transition from science to business to being an entrepreneur? So I was very lucky that I grew up in quite an entrepreneurial family. My mother was quite, quite entrepreneurial and then her sort of family before her, my grandmother and my great uncle, uh, my great uncle founded SPC. My grandmother founded a dancing school in Sydney. My mother founded a school. So I'd grown up believing that, you know, you could start your own business. And when I was writing up my PhD, um, my mother sort of turned around and said, well, Michelle, you're not doing very much at the moment. You're only writing up a PhD and you've only just had a baby. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've got a grant from the government to put technology into performing arts and I've got no one to help me. And so I started to do that, to help her with that, and I ended up building a computer hardware and software business and expanded that business. And then I saw the dot-com one um, sort of period happening, the, the evolution of the internet, um, things, businesses starting to leverage the internet. And I started playing around with e-commerce and the internet. And this is back in about 1997. And from that, um, I was thinking about online businesses and my mother got a gift voucher for Mother's Day um, my mother-in-law actually, and my husband then turned around and said to her, wow, gift vouchers online would be a good thing to do. And I thought, wow, that's just a really terrific idea. I went home that day and I brought every domain name in the world around gift vouchers, giftvouchers.com, giftvouchers.com.au. And for those in the US, um, a gift voucher is like the US equivalent of a gift certificate. But we made it digital and we created some of the first patents in the world around digital codes, electronic vouchers, and we built a business off the back of that. And so largely we created Australia's first fintech company. We owned and operated giftvouchers.com and we put the technology behind the Australian prepaid cards and electronic voucher market. And we were expanding into New Zealand, um, South Africa and the UK when we were acquired by a UK publicly listed company. And that moved me from being a business builder to an investor um, because I started angel investing and uh, that took me into the venture capital pathway. Excellent. And and so now your your philosophy at One Ventures is 
is investing in later stage companies, but having, you know, built companies from the ground up, I would have thought that some of these uh, startups need the money earlier on in their development. Why is this your preference at One Ventures? Well, we do at One Ventures. We actually invest in a number of different ways and in a number of different stages of company. So we will invest in companies from what we call a scale-up, which might be, you know, early revenues, um, maybe a few million in revenue to sort of more grown-up companies like Focus. And um, and because many of us at One Ventures have built and grown substantial companies, our sort of unique selling proposition, if you like, as venture capitalists, is that we invest both funds and our operational expertise um, in global markets and helping businesses develop in global markets. So we probably tend slightly later stage because we believe we can really help our businesses in their growth strategy and developing that global growth strategy and mindset. And, and is there a specific point in time of of a later stage or it just depends on how, you know, is that five years in or it just depends on the books and where the company's at in terms of its customer base and revenue? Yeah, so when we invest in later stage, typically from $10 million in revenue upwards, but it doesn't necessarily matter how old the company is. It's more around how innovative they are, what stage they're at and how they're looking to use the investment of capital. So um, you've recently invested in Focus Cloud Data Analytics Software. Tell us a little bit about that and why specifically do you think, well, that was a good investment for One Ventures and, and why has it got a bright future? Or- yeah, look, analytics maturity puts companies in a stronger competitive position. So, you know, fundamentally to our thesis is that. Mm-hmm. And um, for companies to capitalise on corporate and department data, companies can much more quickly react to market changes and opportunities. So we believe that a lot of companies around the world are just starting on this journey of data discovery and that companies like Focus make this whole process so much easier and enable companies to take the guesswork out of decision-making. And so that's a really exciting investment thematic for us and we just believe that a lot of companies are just growing and developing on this journey and we see focus as being an opportunity for us to invest in that journey that the world is undertaking where we're moving much more rapidly in our digital transformation now to, you know, cloud-based operations and to data-driven decision-making. Speaking about data-driven decision-making, have you got a a recent example of a time when you've changed your mind about a business decision after the data has convinced you otherwise? As as a venture capitalist, we probably examine 100 companies and invest in one. So, you know, in a year we might examine 500 or 700 companies and invest in five or seven, and that's really because we're data-driven investors So we look at all the underlying data in the company and we evaluate whether we believe the company can, you know, grow and take our capital and, you know, the outcomes of that capital will be to give us a return on our investment. So we're forever doing that. But just to give you a little example of some other data where we made an investment in a company and then we saw a really big change in the market. And so the market data that we were receiving in about the company Um, was indicating that actually the market was falling and becoming much harder for us. It was becoming much more competitive. Um, The price points for, you know, the product were dropping rapidly. 
And we actually made an investment decision to exit the investment and to sell the company because we saw the data telling us that that's what we should be doing when really, you know, we'd sort of invested and we were hoping for growth in the company and we saw the market change and we had to react to the market and that was a data-driven decision, not one that I would have liked to have made personally. Absolutely. And I think lots of focused customers have that situation. It's not as probably high stakes as selling off a business, but thinking certain customers are the most valuable because they order the most amount of things, but when they actually dig into that cost to serve and the data underlying, here they are thinking their best customer for the last five years isn't actually the ones that they thought they were. And so they've got to really change their bias and change their their decision-making accordingly. So no, that's very true. You you sit on the the the, the focus board and um, and you've been on many boards over the years. What has changed? I mean, other than them probably being, being virtual all of, of last year, what are the priorities for business in in twenty twenty one and beyond? And what are you looking for in in investments um, in this environment? Look, COVID nineteen, as I mentioned before, accelerated digital transformation. And it pushed businesses to the cloud and remote workforces. So there's been a lot more focus in the boardroom about business resilience, I think, than there was maybe previously. And I think what that means is like knowing your business really well, having the data at your fingertips, enabling you to scenario plan for different types of scenarios in your business, you know, whether it's, you know, some of our companies saw massively accelerated growth through the last year because they were cloud-based businesses and other companies found, you know, they had challenges that they had to meet and understanding what was going on in the business was really, really important. And those companies that had good access to data were much quicker at making decisions and being able to move forward with their businesses than those who were backpedalling, trying to get the information out of their systems to surface the information and then start the scenario planning and decision-making process. So I I really think business priorities now are very focused on digital transformation, team and culture, um, new business models. There are, you know, we've changed business models now. We're moving into cloud, um, you know, it's cloud-based business models. And also I think diversity and equity in in the workforce is a strong focus of boards. And also where are we looking for the next wave of growth in our businesses? And there's a lot of focus on that. Um, because the world is struggling to find growth and, you know, in many of our businesses it's thinking about, okay, where are we going to find growth and how are we going to generate that and do we need a new type of business or business model to do that? Yeah, more empathy and, um, and with more women on boards and leading businesses and governments, do you think there'll be a shift in attitudes and, and, and some of the things that you've talked about throughout the podcast, greater diversity, um, more empathy, more resilience because of women. What do you think will be the shift in 10 years' time with a greater representation of women across leadership, management, innovation, culture? I really hope that as a result of what we've experienced in the last year that we'll find the workplace increase in inclusivity 
um, and that we've actually managed to break down barriers around flexible work because there was a period of time not that long ago where we all thought flexible work actually was, you know, reserved for women who were juggling children. Not that, you know, everyone would actually appreciate flexible working environments. And I think there was also a perception that if you were doing flexible work, it would mean that you actually weren't um, necessarily working as productively as other members of your team who might have been in the office. And I think that potentially we've broken down some of those barriers. I think it's something we'll have to watch in the future. Um, but I think, you know, women are good at things like fostering strategy development. They improve corporate social responsibility. So I'm hoping that we'll see much stronger, you know, corporate good citizenship and responsibility um, versus the very aggressive approach we've often had um, where it was profits at all cost. I'm hoping that that's really swinging and I think women would certainly push that swing. And I also think women are very effective in creating management accountability as well. So I think there's some of the things that we'll see women sort of bringing to the table over the next 10 years. Great. Let's not go back. Sounds good. Sounds like a good positive future. And then to wrap up, I always like to ask about, you know, not get too personal, but I believe you have two daughters and you're a busy woman and with lots of bright ideas and you've obviously had terrific mothers and and mothers-in-law and influencing your life. What's your philosophy on parenting and what's the sort of advice you'd give them perhaps that you had or haven't had over the years? Look, I, you know, first of all, I just have to say that, you know, children need a lot of love <laughs> and I always wanted to create a, a happy, loving family environment where they feel, feel secure. So I think children need security. And I always believed in creating boundaries uh, where they actually understand sort of what the rules of the game are in terms of the family and what my expectations of them are. And then I actually found that most often than not they tried to, you know, live up to or work within the expectations or the boundaries that we set as a family, whether it's, you know, what time you're going to be home by or, you know, making sure you, you know, you do your homework so you can, you know, do okay in your exams. But one of the things that I always did, which I think was quite a successful approach, was I tried to include my daughters in decision-making from a very young age, trying to teach them what a good decision looks like or what positive behaviour looks like and to encourage their participation and contribution they could sort of align their value systems with their decision-making. And just as an example, I remember one day my daughter coming home and saying, Mummy, I don't want to go to so-and-so's party because nobody likes her and they're not going to go. And I just turned around and said to her, you know, how would you feel if that was your birthday and your party and nobody was going to come? And wouldn't that be terrible? you go away and think about it and come back and tell me if you're going to go or not. And she came back and said that she would go. And um, and she actually came home and said, wow, Mum, that was a great party and she was so happy I went and I had a really great time. And, you know, and so she got the positive reinforcement out of her own personal decision-making. And, you know, now I'm very proud of my daughters and, in fact, both of them are doing PhDs in the scientific Field, one in biomedical engineering and robotics and the other one in marine science. So I think I must have done something okay along the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Getting them to make their own decisions, going off to their own party sounds terrific. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. The um, There was just so, so many fabulous life examples and what a colourful, incredible, successful career you've had, but plenty more to achieve and do. We, we're not, we haven't finished yet. There's plenty to, to do at Focus and um, getting women flexible hours and um and and diversity of choices and having options i think is is incredible so um thank you again and um we look forward to speaking to you again soon thanks katrina thanks for the time thank you thank you you so much for listening to our conversation with the impressive michelle decker if you want to find out more information head to focussoftware.com We'll make sure to pop a link in our show notes and make sure to keep an eye out for more information on future episodes on our LinkedIn. Take care.